Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Hi, everybody. Hey, got a tough show to do today. Um, I've received calls recently, well, at least several this year already, and many in the past asking about, you know, sort of the Dr. Kevorkian assisted suicide, assisted dying, whatever you want to call it, um, end of life, and how this affects people with various dementias. Well, I don't know about state to state, but I do know what Colorado's is. And so I can tell you what it is to a degree um, through, through our system. So the Colorado End of Life Options Act came up about two years ago, was passed recently, And what it says is that it lays out specific requirements for patients and medical facilities and healthcare providers who are willing to participate, uh, may choose to participate in this option. And they answer some frequently asked questions I thought you might want to know. You know, I think it's informational. I think it's educational. Um, It doesn't This doesn't replace any advice or anything at all that you would get from your own doctor or healthcare provider or whatever. But um, I thought I would just kind of go through what some of these are and why I explained to a patient today that it doesn't really apply to people with various dementias. It applies to a lot of other things, but not various dementias, and I'll explain why in a minute. So who is eligible? Well, again, this is just state of Colorado, but it says on this UC Health site that I'm on, 18 years of or older, the person has to be to make this decision for themselves. So at 18, they consider you an adult, apparently. You have to live in Colorado. You have to be terminally ill. You have to be acting voluntarily of your own accord. Here's a real key. You have to give, be given a prognosis of six months or less to live, and you need to be mentally capable of making their own health care decision. That person has to be mentally capable of making their own health care decisions and then capable of administering whatever route they decide to go. So ad- ingesting a pill or giving yourself a shot or whatever it is, um, the aid in dying drug. Well, I think it's pretty clear right there why it wouldn't work for a person with Alzheimer's, Lewy body, possibly Parkinson's, or various types of dementias. Maybe one that it would work with would be ALS because that person may be aware of what 
they're doing, they might be able to give themselves the medication on their own. Um, but most often, a person with Alzheimer's or um, any of those that I just mentioned that have severe memory loss at the end or cognitive issues at the end probably wouldn't be in the position to A, say I want this to happen to me, and B, uh, know when they're in the last six months of their life, and C, able to give themselves that medication knowing what they're doing. And they're most definitely not going to fall under the mentally capable of making their own healthcare decision outlook. Now, again, if somebody has ALS or Huntington's disease or Korsakov's caused by alcoholism or something like that, uh, or has had a really severe stroke but is still able to talk, still has language capabilities, um, and is able to talk to you, it could apply to them. Now, I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying, go out and end your own life. I just got questions about this and thought it would be good to talk about it a little bit because there are people who don't want to live with this diagnosis. There are people who give up the day they get the diagnosis. I'm sorry about that. I'm here to help you if you need it. But the fact of the matter is... Um, there was a person that has Lewy body, which typically comes with behavior issues first, cognitive issues to a huge degree of um, the frontal lobe of sequencing and and um, mood and apathy and things like that, who asked his kids to end his life for him. And they looked into it and they called me and they asked me about it, which hints brought this up today. So I thought, well, you know what? These are actually really good questions. State by state, this could change if this is something you're interested in, um, in some way, shape, or form, or just learning more about. This is a good way to learn about it. So one of the questions that came up are, are healthcare providers, nurses, pharmacies, um, do they have to participate in the process? No, they do not. They don't. Providers, uh, being nurses, doctors, pharmacists, staff members, can choose not to participate in the act. It's a, their right under the law. Um, in this particular case, University of Col uh, Colorado Health Services allows its providers to choose whether or not they want to participate. And if a person's provider chooses not to participate, the patient may transfer their care to another provider. They can if if somebody says, no, I don't believe in this for morally and ethical reasons, they that person who wants it can look for someone else to help them with it. That's actually a really good question, I think. Um, are there other options available for end of life care? Yeah, of course there are. So there are locations that offer healthcare providers who are experienced in 
palliative care medicine, palliative meaning that they're going to try to help you be better every time they see you. They'll give you some medication. They'll give you some communication skills. They'll give whatever it is to you to help you to live better. Um, Palliative means to try to fix, okay? So if they are helping you, they're trying to assist you as a patient who's facing some serious or terminal diagnosis, and they're also trying to help your family. So palliative care is all about let's get better. Comfort care is about just making you as comfortable as possible for as long as you can. Okay? Um, Also in that same realm, palliative care specialists, they're focused on relieving your pain, your stress, any other debilitating symptoms that you're having. Um, They'll do what they can to try to help you if you don't want to go down this route. So it's always worth looking into. Um, How does a patient ask for this help? How do you request aid in dying medication? Well, it says that you as an individual, must make two oral requests that are separated by at least 15 days. And that is so you have time to sleep on it, I'm guessing. (sighs) Um, The request must be made to the person's attending physician. And you also have to provide a written request that meets requirements established by the law. Again, if you have some type of dementia, your reading and writing skills are suffering and you're not going to be in a place where you can request this information or answer questions or write the answers down. And there are requirements established by the law that you have to adhere to. I'll see if I can find that information here while I'm talking to you, uh, what would that be? Um, But I guess those requirements would be the ones that I listed in the beginning. Are you six months away from death? Um, Are you able to administer it by yourself? And uh, do you know what you're doing? I guess that's the bottom line, right? All right. So... On the site that I'm looking on, UC Health says you have to be a patient of theirs to even talk about the subject. Um, But having said that, this law that was put into place called the Act requires a patient to work with his or her attending physician. So it can be your general practitioner, I guess. It can be whoever you're seeing, whatever neurologist you're seeing, whatever general practitioner you're seeing. But you have to be a patient of theirs. And if you want them to help you with it, they have to be your doctor or nurse. 
So in this particular case, if you went through like UC Health, um, they have to provide the attending physician to serve as an attending physician for the purposes of the act itself. So it looks like that person, according to the Aid in Dying Act, the attending physician is a physician who has primarily been responsible for the care of that person and the treatment of that person's illness. So you can't just call somebody up. You can't just call a doctor and say, hey, um, I've been given a terminal illness um, and I want to end my life. I don't want to live like this. Will you help me? You can't just hire somebody off the street. According to the parameters of all of this, you have to be a patient of that person and they have to be treating your illness. It can't be some random act. Yeah, it's actually a good thing. I I would think, um, I guess not if you live out in the boonies, not if you live 90 miles away from civilization or something, um, and you don't have a doctor. If that's the case, you can find other methods anyway, I suppose. I mean, again, not advocating this, not trying to push anybody to end their life in any way, shape, or form. Just trying to answer some questions today. I know there's a lot of moral and ethical issues around this that some people don't believe in assisted uh, suicide. We know that Dr. Kevorkian uh, did his best for his patients, um, ended up in prison and died in prison because he helped people that wanted to do this. Um, So it's a touchy subject, you know. I'll bet you'll find five out of ten people that will have an opinion on it for sure. Now, what if you're a non-UCH health person, which many of you might be, and the patient is interested in transferring care for his or her terminal illness to a physician physician at UCH? Um If that's the case, you have to follow the usual referral mechanisms for connecting with the appropriate specialty or the primary care to establish that care. So in other words, you have to have a referral. You have to have a referral to the doctor's office to be able to get this act done. And have somebody from UCH help you. You know, the question there, back to the moral and the ethical things on this, is that uh, just because you have a major academic hospital in your area doesn't mean that the doctor or doctors there that you may choose to see would do it. There are people that this is just against their religious beliefs. They don't think people should end their own life. There are people who still believe you'll go to hell if you end your own life. There are lots of people who believe that. I'm not one of them, uh, but there are people who believe that. So it's it could be pretty tricky, I would guess. Um 
trying to find somebody who isn't against it, who isn't pro-life to this degree, who isn't anti-assisted uh, suicide. And believe me, Dr. Kevorkian wouldn't have spent years in prison if there was a lot of people that thought this was a popular idea. <laughs> For real. So, anyway, moving on. What are the requirements for the patient's written request? Well, the written request must contain elements required by Colorado law, the ones I told you about. The written request must be signed and dated by the patient who is seeking the medical aid and dying medication. And the written request must be witnessed by at least two individuals who, in the presence of the patient, attest to the best of their knowledge and belief that the patient is mentally capable and is acting voluntarily and not being coerced into ending their own life. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. You'd still have to, for anybody that thinks that that's an out, that's a caveat that you could maybe do this, my guess is that one of the things you would have to do is have a doctor's order saying that person was cognizantly capable and in the last six months of their life. That's interesting. Yeah, I think number one on that, the written request must be must contain elements required by the law. Um, I think that's where you'd run into a stumbling block. Who's qualified to be a witness? Well, neither the patient, the patient's attending physician, or the person who's the patient's qualified power of attorney or durable medical power of attorney can serve as a witness. Well, that's interesting. Wow. So the how the hell does that work? So neither the patient's attending physician or the person nor the person authorized to be the patient's qualified power of attorney or dur durable medical power of attorney can serve as a witness to the request. Of the two witnesses, one must be not related to the patient by blood, marriage, civil union, or adoption. Two, an individual who at the time requested is signed and entitled under a will or operation of law to any portion of that person's estate. You can't benefit from this person dying. That's all that's saying. <laughs> if you think you can sign this so that you can get their house and all their cash flow, not. No, you cannot. And an owner, operator, or employee of a health care facility where the individual is receiving the medical treatment or is a resident. So it has to be somebody you don't know. Well, that's kind of messed up. Um, well, that's not true. They just can't be related to you. They can't be married to you. You can't have adopted them. They can't be your doctor. They can't be anybody working at the facility um, where you're receiving it. They can't be the owner and operator of that facility and so forth. So it has to be somebody that is a friend that can't benefit from your death, essentially, 
and you have to have two of them. <laughs> if you want to do this, I hope you have two friends. <sighs> what is an informed decision? An informed decision. An informed decision is that which is made by the individual to obtain a prescription for the aid in dying medication that that person may decide to self-administer. I don't know why they say that. They say they have to self-administer it. That's a silly, silly loophole. Uh, based on an understanding and acknowledgement of relevant facts and made after the attending physician has fully informed the individual of his or her medical diagnosis and prognosis of six months or less, the potential risk associated with taking the medical aid in dying medication to be prescribed, the probable result of taking the medication and aid in dying medication to be prescribed, uh, all feasible alternatives and additional treatment opportunities, including comfort care, palliative care, hospice care, pain control, and the choices available to an individual that demonstrate his or her self-determination and intent to end his or her life in a peaceful manner, including the ability to choose whether or not they request medical aid in dying, obtain a prescription for the aid in dying medication, they have to be able to fill the prescription on their own, possess the medical aid in dying medication that will end their life, and last but not least, ultimately self-administer that medication to bring about a peaceful death. Hmm. Okay. So can you rescind your request once you want to do it? Sure you can. You can stop anytime you want. Yep. You can stop anytime you want. Who is the patient's attending physician? Well, that's an easy one. The patient's attending physician is the physician who has a primary responsibility for you, the, your care. <laughs> that's pretty easy. If they're caring for you and they're treating you and they have given you the diagnosis and said you're going to die within six months, they're the person. There you go. What do they have to do? Ooh, that's a good one. So if the physician chooses to participate, he or she is required to do all of the following. The individual, they have to state that the individual has a terminal illness, which means an incurable or irreversible illness that will, within reasonable medical judgment, result in death. They have to show that the individual has a prognosis of six months or less and that you are mentally capable. And that means that the opinion of an individual's attend attending physician, consulting physician, psychiatrist, psychologist, whoever it is, the individual themselves has the ability to make and communicate an informed decision to their health care providers that they want to end their life. And that the individual is making an informed decision. They know what it means. They're going to die. That the individual has made the request voluntarily on their own. Nobody held a gun to their head. That was a bad example, wasn't it? 
<laughs> Sorry. Uh, the attending physician must also refer the patient to a consulting physician, a physician who is qualified by specialty or experience to make the professional diagnosis and prognosis regarding a terminally ill individual's illness. And they have to be able to confirm the diagnosis and prognosis, the determination whether the person is mentally capable, whether or not they're making an informed decision, and whether or not they are acting voluntarily. The same thing I just said. Um, then that attending physician has to provide a full individual-centered disclosure to ensure the individual is making the informed decision. And apparently they have to write it up and send it in, right? All the things I just said. Uh, that they know they're going to die in six months, and that they have talked to them about alternatives, additional treatments, including comfort care, palliative care, hospice care, pain control, the potential risks um, of taking that medication, and the result, the probable result, well, we know what that is, and that person can obtain the medical aid in dying medication but can choose not to use it. And I guarantee you can't give it to somebody else. Um, the attending physician must also request that the individual demonstrate that they live in Colorado, that they understand the standards and accepted medical guidelines of this process, and they have to confirm that the individual does not arise from being coerced into this in any way, shape, or form. They'll talk to the patient about it, so don't try and slide it by. It won't work. <laughs> you're not getting that inheritance. You're not getting the big house, and you're not getting the five cars, including the Tesla, if you coerce them. Okay? Um, they can talk to you about having another person present, but remember, they can't be a beneficiary in any way. They can't be related to you in any way, shape, or form. You can't take the the medicine in a public place. Nobody wants to see you die in a public setting. <laughs> um, safekeeping and proper disposal of the unused medical aid medication has to be noted. And again, tell them that they can back out anytime they want. And they can refer you to somebody else if they're not comfortable with it. How do you how do you get that medication? You go to a pharmacy where where it's been given to them. Where and when do you do it? You decide. Nobody's going to tell you when you when and how to do it. Some states, it says, already have options in place. Most of the individuals do it at home. If you're doing it by yourself, which you're supposed to be, um, a hospital won't permit patients to be hospitalized for the sole purpose of this. So you can't go to your local hospital. Well, ain't that something. <laughs> They won't let you die in the hospital. You can die in your own house if you want to, but you can't die in the hospital. Hmm. Yep, and you can't do it in the clinic either. How is residency established? Your driver's license or an ID card. 
voter res registration card showing that you own or lease property in Colorado or you have an income tax return. What does the physician have to do as well? They have to examine your medical records. They have to confirm in writing everything that I just talked about, your illness, your prognosis, that you made your own decisions and that you have been well-informed. Well, there you have it. There's very few ways to get around it. Very few ways. Um, having said that, certainly there are other things that people can consider, options that they can think about. I don't want to say that I hope you do or don't want to do it. I just want to say I hope you have thought this through, that if any of you are thinking about this, that you are tired of living with this dementia and you are in maybe a late mid-stage and... Um, want to think about what your options are, look into your local laws. I just thought this was an interesting question and that the person that had the Louie body was very disappointed and asked his kids to find some alternative options for him because he didn't want to live. And I got the phone call and said to myself, this would make a really interesting conversation. So if any of you have been wondering about this, now you have some answers. Check your local state laws, check with your physician, and go from there. I hope this has been helpful. And I will see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.